church, welcome. Thank you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much that you love people. We thank you for letting us be a part of what you are doing to bring every tribe, child, people, and the nation to the throne of the Lamb. Yes. Speak to us today. Open our hearts to listen what you want to speak to us today. And help us to respond in faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What concerns us the most? What breaks our heart? What is our motivation for sharing Christ with others? Well, these are some of the questions that got me thinking as I was reflecting on today's passages. Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision, used to pray, Lord, break my heart with the things that break your heart. So what are the things that breaks God's heart? Well, the Bible tells us that the heart of our Heavenly Father breaks at every single shape that gets lost. It is not our Heavenly Father's will that even a single sheep should lose. And there are a lot of lost people out there that matters deeply to God. It breaks His heart. It is God's will that none should perish. One sheep. Yes, that's what matters to God. And that's what caused the angels in the heaven to rejoice. And that's what delight the heart of the Father. And Luke 15 very beautifully depicts this whole picture. Today we observe Mission Sunday in our liturgical calendar. It is a yearly opportunity to celebrate our lives as Christians and renew our shared call to mission. It is also a day to show special solidarity to all missionaries who have responded to Christ's mandate, mandate to go and make disciples of all nations. It is also a day about us connecting with the heart of God. On Mission Sunday, we are reminded that we are called by God to live a life of reconciliation and restoration. Reconciliation with God and one another and restoration of the lost humanity to the ideals of the Garden of Eden. It is for this very purpose that Jesus, the Word made flesh, came to this world and there has been no more urgent a time to participate in God's mission of restoration, reconciliation and healing than today. And this is exactly what we are reminded in our today's readings. In our first reading today, we heard from the book of prophet Isaiah about the election, call, and commissioning of the servant. As Isaiah focuses on the great commission of the servant, he opens his reflection on the ministry of the servant with a call to the world, nations of the world. We learn about the servant as he reflects on various aspects of his ministry, such as his calling, his ministry, attributes and some of the potential ministry challenges as well as not so desired result of his mission. However, the question of the identity of the servant in this passage is an enigma beyond resolution. Jewish interpretations identifies the servant with the community of Israel. Classical Christian interpretation has found allusion to Jesus, whereas historical critics identify a historical figure like Isaiah. Well, irrespective of who the servant is, the passage is very clear about the mission of the servant, and that's what mattered to us. And the mission is very beautifully outlined in verse 6. This verse very categorically relates the mission of the servant with two key tasks, restoration of Israel and being a light to the nation 
so that God's salvation may be reached to the ends of the earth. And the order of the task rhetorically progresses from smaller to greater and from domestic affairs to the welfare of the nation, thereby expanding the horizons of mission. So Isaiah reminds us that God's plan is universal and that the very purpose of our existence is with a view to mission. Similarly, in our psalm today, the universal dimension of God's mission is reiterated time and again. Yeah. So Psalm 67 is a missionary psalm. If you notice the phrase, like psalmist use phrases like to the, to the earth, all nations, all peoples, and the ends of the earth. So all these references remind us that God's praise is neither restricted by geography nor bound by culture. Our God deserves praise from all people. And fittingly enough, many Bible scholars envision a harvest setting for Psalm 67, a setting which today's gospel passage also refers to. Psalm 67 also speaks of source and purpose of our blessings. It tells us that God is the source of all blessings and that God has blessed us so that we can be a blessing to reach the world for Him. And there are a lot of ways to respond to this psalm on this mission Sunday. Some of us would want to remind ourselves that God has been gracious to us. And many of us would want to think about the gifts and resources that God has entrusted to us and ask the Lord to show us in what way He wants us to do with those gifts and resources to spread God's word, God's word to the nation. We serve a God that doesn't only save us, but He uses us to build His church. Yeah. We serve a God who says, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. And others of us would want to use the words of Psalm 67 to pray for individuals, nations, or people who we love and care about. We would want to ask the God to be gracious to them and bless them and cause His face to shine upon them so that each one of them may come to the saving knowledge of Christ. May we pray and respond as God speaks to our heart. The heart of today's reading is the gospel passage because the vision of Isaiah's suffering song comes to fruition in the ministry of Jesus. It is here we see that God in it is here we see what God in and through Jesus Christ is doing in the world to bring about the mission of healing, restoration, and reconciliation. Now, Matthew 9, 35 through 38 is an action-packed passage. Yeah, it's an action-packed passage. As it is described, Jesus' mission and ministry using several actions on Jesus' part. You can uh, just see the text. And 9.25 summarizes Jesus' ministry in a statement that echoes for Matthew 4.23, uh, forming an inclusion. So here Matthew brackets off Jesus' activity between 4.23 and 9.35 as the core of his mission and ministry. And then verse 36 through 38 reports a specific incident on one of those occasions when Jesus saw the crowd, he felt compassion for them, and then they discharged his disciples. Until this point, Jesus has conducted his ministry virtually single-handedly, and his disciples are largely remained in the background. But that is about to be going to change as the passive disciples are to be sent out as uh, active agents in the divine mission, reenacting every aspect of Jesus' mission. So Matthew presents Jesus' ministry as a paradigm of mission. In particular, Matthew outlines three fundamental requirements of mission in verses 35 through 38. 
So first thing is, a call to mission entails doing what Jesus did, especially verse 35. Now what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus went through all the towns and villages. The idea here is the willingness to go out, come out of our comfort zone and go out and see the missional needs of the people. And Jesus, Jesus was always on the move, traveling from one place to another and responding to the needs of the people. Although several narratives in the Gospels tell us that people often brought their sick and diseased people to Jesus, but Matthew 9.35 emphasizes that it is in fact Jesus who was going first to the people. So Matthew here uses continuous aspect, like emphasizing that it was not just one-time activity, but a recurrent activity on Jesus' part. In other words, Jesus kept on going from place to place because he is seeking God. And this is exactly what missionaries until the 20th century were doing. I often, I often think about the missionaries who left their families, country and all other comforts to respond to God's call. Today we, we live in a world like where it is quite advanced. Um, we have technology, we have internet, the travel has become very fast. You can travel from one part of the world to other part in 24 hours. But that wasn't the case. Earlier missionaries would travel 2-3 months. And that too without cell phone and internet. And yet they chose to go to a country where life was not only substandard but extremely difficult to survive, let alone live. What we consider struggle today in this part of the world is a distant dream and eschatological hope in the part of the world that I come from. So I have highest respect for those missionaries like who sacrifice the comforts and and had it not been for those missionaries from the West who faithfully responded to God's call to mission, our country would probably not see, have not seen the great light of the gospel. Then mm -hmm. Jesus was also teaching and preaching the good news of the kingdom. The heart of Jesus' mission is the good news of the kingdom. And the good news of the kingdom in the simplest form is this. We all have sinned against God and we, have, we deserve punishment. No amount of good work can pay our debts, but God loves the world that He sent His only begotten Son, whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Well, it sounds very simple, but sometimes it's very difficult to communicate this aspect. This may not be a like, very pertinent problem here, but especially in my context, um, uh, it's a like, very relevant issue because in developing countries or so-called third world countries because we tend to relegate the core of the gospel to second place and like, focus more on other humanitarian kind of things, which I don't deny. But those are only means to an end, not an end in itself. So Matthew uh, from Jesus' life reminds us that we need to keep the first thing the first thing. Yes. So before coming to the US to pursue my doctoral study, I, I had the privilege of teaching the Bible school in Northern India, so every year we would interview the students. And one of my favorite questions to ask the students would be, what did Jesus do for you? And the typical answer would be, well, I was sick, um, Jesus healed me, and I came to know Christ. I would say, oh, that's great. But what else, what else did Jesus do for you? And they would say, okay, well, well I needed something desperately, and I prayed, and God provided me that exact thing. Wow, that's great. But what else did Jesus do? Uh, but I was shocked to know that 95% of the students could not say that I was a sinner. Jesus came to this world. He died for me on the cross. Uh, so it kind of shook me to the core. And mm. that's how I kind of developed a burden to 
educate not only the seminarians but also the pastors and the lay, yeah. lay leaders because I realized that I don't blame the students but it was the local leaders and the pastor who were not privileged like me to pursue formal theological education. Uh, but that's something again, uh, it was a good reminder to me as well that we need to keep the first thing first thing. Yeah. And then Jesus was also healing every disease and sickness. And the kind of sickness Jesus heals in Matthew 8 and 9 points more than a physical healing. It's very interesting the way Matthew has structured his gospel. Like chapter 5 to 7 talks about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount teaching and chapter 8 and 9 there are like miracles after miracles. So kind of substantiating, substantiating Jesus' teaching ministry with his healing ministry. So the focus here is not just on physical healing but also on restoration and reconciliation. Matthew reiterates this particular aspect by presenting Jesus' ministry, healing ministry as response to various kinds of uncleanness. And uncleanness in the first century Mediterranean context connotes segregation, alienation or excommunication from society or community. So yeah, look at the kind of sickness and diseases Jesus heals. Healing of lepers responds to bodily uncleanness, healing of centurion's servant responds to ethnic uncleanness, healing of Peter's mother-in-law and the hemorrhaging women responds to gender uncleanness, healing of gathering demoniac responds to demons, and healing of paralytic man responds to disease or physical infirmity. So all these healings point beyond physical healing. If by teaching and preaching Jesus reconciled and restored the lost humanity to God by healing various kinds of sickness and diseases, he reconciled and restored segregated individuals to both God and man. Once considered before unclean and untouchables and beyond the reach of God's grace, they now are restored to God's image and reconciled with their families and communities. Mm -hmm. So Jesus' missional paradigm reminds us that orthodoxy and orthopraxy or faith and works are inseparable in our call to mission. And the passage also talks about praying. It is true that the text doesn't explicitly say that Jesus prayed, but Jesus only commanded his disciples to pray for more workers. But Jesus did not command his disciples to do something which he himself had not done. So nonetheless, whether Jesus prayed for more workers or not, we cannot dispute that he commanded us to pray for more workers. Mm -hmm. The unreached people of this world need more preachers and the ministers of the gospel. Yeah. The need remains as urgent as ever. With billions who have not heard the gospel or seen it implemented holistically. And I won't startle you with statistics, but if you are interested, Joshua Project is the great site that gives very beautiful information or description of unreached people groups. So let us pray that the Lord would raise up and send out workers from our church uh, to serve the nation. Today's standing here, I can humbly say that I am in the ministry not because I fear that God's work won't be done. That's not an issue at all because the scripture says that if I remain silent, the stones will cry out. So that's yeah. not a question. But I'm in ministry because I fear that if I am not involved, it would be done without me. And it is my loss. And I don't want, want that to happen. I don't want to be sitting on the sidelines and be a mere spectator. I want to be in the middle of what God is doing. Yeah. So it's a privilege to play our part in God's mission. Some of us are called to preach and teach. Others are called to go out and serve God. Yet others are blessed with resources to give permission and kingdom cause. And then others of us are called to intercede and advocate.
advocate for those who are in the missions. The bottom line is this. Our role in God's mission may vary depending on our call, our capacity, our abilities. But we cannot cease to be missional people. Right. The moment we cease to be missional, we become mission field. And secondly, a call to mission entails seeing as Jesus saw. Now verse 36 begins by saying, when Jesus saw. It is obvious that Jesus and the disciples saw the same scene, which is they saw their fourteen problem. But Jesus saw them with different eyes than his disciples did. And in what way was Jesus different? Well, Jesus saw the condition of the crowd. Verse 36 describes the condition of the crowd as distressed, dispirited, and shaped without shepherd. Many commentators relate shepherd here with the leaders of Israel and argue that the crowd felt dispirited, hopeless, or sheep without shepherd because their shepherds had failed them. The crowd felt let down by both religious leadership and political leadership of Israel. They were fleecing the flock, not shepherding them with compassion. But Jesus viewed them as sheep needing a shepherd. What else did Jesus see? Well, Jesus also saw the great harvest of lost people, verse 37. In verse 37, Jesus shifts the metaphor from flock to field. Jesus now envisions a vast crop of ripe harvest in the urgent need of the harvesters before the harvest spurs. This was an important concept that Jesus wanted his disciples to grasp. And Jesus also saw the great need for workers for the harvest. Despite Jesus' extensive ministry, Many in Israel or even in Galilee remained unreached uh, with his message. Jesus could personally encounter only a small number of uh, small group of people, so he commissions his followers to begin to reach the rest. Jesus' heart is so enlarged toward the lost crowd that he complains about the disproportionate number of the harvest and the harvesters. Jesus wants us to open our eyes and see the harvest around us that we will be workers reaping souls who need good shepherds. And finally, a call to mission against feeling as Jesus felt. As Jesus ministered to the crowd, he had compassion on them. His look of sympathy moved him to the core. The word compassion is a strong word that refers to Jesus' deep gut level compassion for the crowd's plight. And the Greek word for compassion literally means gut or power. It sounds strange to us because none of us today could say I love you with my own bubbles instead of saying I love you with my own heart. It would sound very strange. But in the ancient world, bubbles were regarded as the seed of emotions such as sympathy, love, mercy, and affection. One evening, Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa was bandaging an old man with an advanced stage of leprosy in a metropolitan city of eastern India. A journalist observed her doing this and said, I would not do this for a million dollars. Mother Teresa smiled and said, Neither would I. I did not mean for Jesus. I do this because my Lord did this. How about us? If we ever think that Jesus' mission mandate is too overwhelming for us to follow, remember our Acts passage, especially Acts uh, verse 8, which says that Holy Spirit will empower us to witness Christ faithfully to the ends of the earth. I would not spend time on this because what we have been witnessing is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our community, especially across the street in Asbury University for the past few days. What an incredible sight it is to see several lives being uh, dedicated, rededicated, or surrendered to God's ministry. And this is such, 
such a like wonderful experience, surreal experience. I was just talking to myself like this looks like a four days of heaven to me. I don't think I will ever get to see such a atmosphere when I go back home. I would be happy if I can like see in my lifetime such a thing happening back home. But this kind of uh, gives me uh, what happens when we look like. So let us pray that through this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, many missionaries may be raised and many youngsters may give life uh, to God and choose to go to unreached places. Uh, because there are plenty of harvests, but our uh, labors are few. So Mission Sunday reminds us that the church is missionary by nature. Mission is the reason for church existence. The great Swiss theologian Emil Brunner says, the church exists by mission just as fire exists by burning. On this Mission Sunday, I want us to become missional hand and missional feet of Jesus, proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth to the best of our capacities and abilities. And as we continue our walk with the Lord and discern our specific role in God's mission, uh, may, may, we have the eyes, uh, may we have the eyes of Jesus to see the harvest, the loving and compassionate, compassionate heart of Jesus to sense, the, sense and act the very needs of the sea of humanity and courage like Jesus to preach and leave the gospel. May our hearts be broken with the things that breaks the very heart of God. And may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us so that God might be fulfilled among the nations in and through us. Amen. Amen.